Welcome to the Thinklings Podcast, a conversation where good thoughts help renew the mind with the Word of God. I'm Charlie Carter, and I'm here with Tim Little and Andy Stearns. Let's jump into the conversation. Welcome to the Thinklings Podcast. I'm here with Charlie Carter and Andy Stearns. My name is Tim Little. We are getting ready to record episode number what well what episode is it, Charlie? 90, I don't know, you tell me, man. Ninety-one? Is that what we're on? <laughs> Tim, Stop you it. just Stop did it. the Charlie. What in the world? <laughs> you have it right in front of you on the screen. So we're recording episode ninety-one here. Okay. And now that we're at the middle of July. You know, uh, I remember at the beginning of uh, the summer episode, you're we talking about some social media stuff that we might want to be deleting off of our phones. And it's now the middle of July. How's that going? I still, 100%. I still don't have social media on my phone. I have select select times, put it on Okay, for like an event By 100%, or I mean 0%. Which, what, if you take the one and the first zero off of, we just take the one off, you have zero, zero percent. There you go. So when we had that meeting with Sydney a while back, and we're talking about like Instagram... I, I I can't like I you need can't it on live my phone. Without it. It's yeah. got to be on there for for thinkling. It's all yeah. about the thinklings, Tim. I know it's just it's part of you being a team player. And then I'm like, and then it's like, oh, we got a message on Facebook. Can you respond to that? I'm like, no, I can't because I don't have it on my phone. So got to get Facebook again. Oh, I still have it off my phone. First world problems. Okay. First right. world problems. Tim, I just want to give you three points for your impersonation of Charlie opening up because not only did you what say everything, then you're like, what episode is it? I'm like, oh, that was what so they, good. What that was so did, good. What they didn't see was Tim right before we're about to start, like, hold on, give me a second. And he's like planning <laughs> what he's going to say. And then what pops into his mind is, what does Charlie normally do? <laughs> Charlie normally does this really dumb thing where that's what episode no, it is. No, what I was so thinking was how, do to, that. how to segue into the Facebook thing. That's what I was going to go to. Because I still have it off my phone. And I haven't had it on my phone for a little while. Anyway, we're recording this not in the middle of July. Yes, so. we, wait, wait, come on. <laughs> anyway, and that's I've true. actually done a fair amount more Kindle ebook reading. So instead of whipping out my Facebook or Instagram, yeah. I'm opening up my, my Kindle I'm and you. I'm reading. That's and, a big deal. And so anyway, hey, middle of July, hmm. just throw it out there, encourage, be, you know, prepping that books and business and do your reading and and uh, get onto the Kindle. Tried, Charlie's brain is melting, everybody. I tried to think. I, I think it might have it might have been a conversation with you guys. I can't remember if it was you guys or not. But I was having a conversation about, you know, like putting my phone in that lockbox that I use. Yes. And then someone was like, well, how do you read before you go to bed? Like, don't you read on your oh, phone? Was, was yeah. that you? I was saying you should get a Kindle, Kindle like an e-book, no, like an e-reader. And you're like, <laughs> but I have a paper book. No, Andy, here's a, here's a, here's a thought for you. I, I still can read with an actual book. Like I, I have an actual book in my bed. <laughs> it was was a, that it, today? It was a really good burn. It was yeah. whenever we recorded an episode recently. So maybe that was maybe today, it whenever today. we recorded. I don't know. It's summer. Okay. So anyway, uh, I think we have some business that we need to attend to. Books and business. Oh, let's talk about some books. <laughs> or let's talk about a what book. Was that Mickey Mouse? I think so. Yeah. I went like cartoony for my kids there for a minute. Okay. So I got the book this time. So the last time I talked about a book. I talked about the first of the tales of old Natalia by S.D. Smith, uh, Kingston of Black Star of Kingston. This time I'm going to talk about 
The Wreck and Rise of Whitson Mariner. It's the second book in the series. And I also listened to this one. And again, the last one I listened to while I was mowing, and I listened to almost the entire thing while I mowed. This time, I only got through a little over half, and then I had to listen to it on a drive uh, north to eat lunch with a friend. I really enjoyed this one. And it was interesting, so I'm going to try not to give anything away. But I want to point out more about the way Smith tells stories. And I want to talk about a key aspect of virtue being trust. So in the previous book, there's a character who's not always with it. He's kind of got some idiosyncrasies and quirks. And so I'd said that one main character treats him with dignity. And I hadn't read the second book when I made that comment on the podcast. And so I've read the second book now. And what's really interesting is that same character is in the second book. And he's doing his idiosyncratic, kind of weird, uh, socially awkward stuff. And another character uh, treats him exactly like you'd think he would be treated today in our society. And it was, oh, it was very clear that there was a huge contrast to the way this guy treated him and the other guy. And almost immediately, you could tell there's something wrong with this guy. And throughout the book, you're going to see there's a big character flaw that that character has. So it was interesting to see that. And also, when the other guy in the first book was treating him with dignity. So the first guy, let's clarify this yeah, a little bit. I don't want to use names because okay. I don't want to give anything away. Just say the king yeah. is the one guy that treats him with dignity. Yeah. Well, I think it's not the king. I think it's his, his And then the bodyguard. rebel. Yeah. The rebel in the second book doesn't treat him with dignity. And you immediately dislike that in your mind. You don't like it. You know it's bad. It's not appealing. It's not beautiful. It's not good. And I thought that was helpful. The next thing about the book that's really helpful is there is a situation where you have the king who's leading a group of uh, soldiers, and they're in a situation where they have to trust the king's commands, and they aren't. The, the king gives orders and he's, they're not trusting. And you can see where that causes a lot of problems. And the way Smith writes it, you, you, you sort of get this idea that, man, that soldier should have listened because now there's problems. And the soldier thought he knew better than the king, but the king understood all that was going on. And the soldier didn't listen to him. And because of that, there were negative consequences. And so I think there was, there's, a, there's, a, there's a theme of... You need to trust your authority because your authority may know more than you. And I just thought that was good, especially if you have little kids reading this and, you know, they're thinking about authority and their ideas of authority are being formed at an early age. You want them to trust the wise authorities. Uh, but then at the same time, the rebel in the book, you don't want them to follow the rebel. And I, I think this put up the heroes and the villains very well within a biblical worldview that could form in a, in a child some good opinions on about how to do these things. And then also, I think it's going to go right along with the way the Bible speaks about following authority. So I really liked the book. It was another good story. It was a little bit longer. And there was a couple uh, interesting twists. But Tim, you had said it helped your kids get into it. And I can see that because it's short. Mm -hmm. So it's not a long story. Yeah. Um, right now, we're working through Chronicles of Narnia with uh, Evan and Abby. So they're loving the line, the witch in the wardrobe. But they're just young enough that you have to kind of, every day when you read, you kind of have to retell them what happened. Mm -hmm. So I can see where this book would be much better. So I really liked it. I'd put it six or a seven, you know, on the goodness scale. And parents, it's, 
I enjoyed it, so I'd recommend it. In the next one, Prince Lander and the Dragon War. The, Don't give me any way. I haven't read it. I'm not going to. Okay. But <laughs> in that one, my eight-year-old really, he he really kind of latched onto it a lot more. So he's hmm. reading through the main books uh, now. So yeah, I think it is a great segue for the main series and and to encourage reading in the home. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah. if you're in a parent and you're like, oh, I can't read a book, these are really short and you can pound through them really quickly. I think one night after church, I mean, I might be a little bit, I may, I may be a little faster of a reader, but we read, I think half of one after an evening service at church in like an hour, hour and a half. I mean, it has to be like four inches by six inches and yeah, a third font. of an inch to a half inch thick. Mm-hmm. It's not big. And there's pictures. Yeah. And so it's, it's not like the full size books. Honestly, from like a economics perspective it's kind of a ripoff <laughs> well i know i had to sp- <laughs> it's a short Says the bookstore it's a manager. Short, it's a short story for a pretty hefty price tag so i'll put it that way yeah, but who's who's not but who's counting it? who I, you, nobody you cares know. right yeah <laughs> what's the price know? of virtue anyway oh uh, so coming back to this story and what you were talking about even with the authority and the 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 soldiers not trusting the the king Okay, and mm-hmm. how did that all end up turning out? Well, I don't want to say any more because did it go well or did it go poorly? It went poorly. Yes, and I think that's a twist on it too, mm-hmm. because we would expect the king to have given wise counsel, mm-hmm. and the king sought to give wise counsel, but it ended up not being wise counsel. But it's still apparent as when we are as parents trying to do give good counsel, but. Sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. There's so, so much to say. Oh, there's, I just I don't think, want to say anything because I, I don't think, want to ruin it because it's such a good. I think there's a good truth there yeah. just for teaching children mm-hmm. that your parents are going to make mistakes too. Yeah. So I, I think there's a lot of benefit from it. And then there's just, there's just one more thing to point out. And this is mm-hmm. the same thing I pointed out in the green ember. In the green ember, Pickett makes this mistake and he's sulking. And one of the, one of the leaders comes up and says, there's no time to um indulge in self-pity. Mm-hmm. We must move on. And I remember thinking, oh, when I when I'm having self-pity or sulkiness, it's like an indulging. You enjoy it. You want it. You want to feel self. You don't want to just stand up and turn and repent and do what you're supposed to. You want to just kind of sulk. And in this book, there's a character who uh there's some things that happen and he has leadership and he wants to indulge in sadness and self-pity, but he has a, a responsibility he has to carry out. And so multiple times in the book, he says he does something. And one of his uh, advisors is like, we don't have time to indulge in, in, in sadness. Mm-hmm. We must, and he, you have to keep leading. Right. And I thought it was helpful because it, even like, I'm not saying this is the whole nature, but the victim status in our culture today, I right. really do think it's connected to this. It's mm-hmm. it's indulging in what you think is a sin, being sinned against and not forgiving. But in this case, it's not sinned against. It's, well, it is kind of sinned against, but it's something tragic and bad, but you still have responsibilities. And I think that was just a good, a good thought that when bad things happen, you you don't have the liberty to indulge when you have responsibility. And I think undergirded in a Christian home from a Christian worldview. This is a good illustration Mm -hmm. of what it means to be uh, faithful in the little things that one day you might be faithful in the large things. Right. So I really like the book six or seven on the goodness scale. Really good. Highly recommend it. And so, you know, parent or even listener, 
When you think through fiction and the character traits that are being articulated in fiction, you know, I think the Green Ember and uh, even Wingfeather uh, really, really try to um, highlight virtue from a real biblical worldview, as opposed to, you know, that kind of story about this little boy that was a wizard that seemed to be a god to himself. Um, so anyway, I just encourage you to promote good fiction with your kids and then even promote among your children to write good fiction. Um, that's something that we could use a little bit more of in this world. Okay. Content. Uh, Devo. Yeah. Devo. So we're going to go back to Peter again, first Peter. And so the first time we looked into first Peter, we talked about being exiles. Then the second time we looked into First Peter, we talked about uh, a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, we're born again to a living hope and to an inheritance. We talked about that. And uh, we're just going to keep following right, right along in the verses there. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read verse 3 on again. We'll, we'll go all the way through verse 9. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. So there's a lot of great stuff to talk about here. And what are we going to focus on? Well, uh, it's, it's really hard for a, a former pastor to not just go through all of it. So we'll hit some highlights. Verse six, I'm just going to cue in your mind. Uh, go back and listen to discipleship question number two. It should not surprise you to see trials as necessary for the short time you live on earth. Why? That is how God facilitates sanctification. He wants to change you. Peter knew that. How's he going to do that? Various trials. Just like James 1, when you encounter various trials, you have them here too. And verse 7 gives you a very clear purpose as to why we have trials. Purpose. That the tested genuineness of your faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The trials God allows now, testing your faith, it, it, it does something to you through that test. And what we know he does is he actually produces his character in you. It's, it's glory, like literally the glory of Christ produced in you. And that which is happening now in this short temporal zone is eternal weight of glory, to use 2 Corinthians language. So the test is has a purpose. It's that 
there's praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So the, the trial now has a purpose for later, but I skipped over the little middle section there. That the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire. So we think of gold as highly valuable, right? Not something that you'd willingly want to just throw in a fire, right? Uh, I don't know if you guys, I know, I know these guys camp, but listener, I don't know if you ever go camping. It's kind of a fascination to throw things into the fire. And especially when you get a fire really hot, when I was growing up, we always threw the pop cans in the fire and you wanted to watch them melt down, you know, and like they didn't really melt down because they're metal. Right. Um, but you know, you throw metal into a furnace and it's actually the way that they purify it. And so you throw gold, which we think is highly valuable. You throw it into the fire and the test of the fire removes impurity. And so you can see the argument that Peter's making is like lesser to greater. Like if we do this with gold, which he actually says is not that precious, like your genuine faith is way more precious than the gold, especially because you're an exile on earth. Like why do you care about gold anyway? But so the tested genuineness of your faith is way more precious in God's eyes than gold, but we still test gold by fire. So shouldn't you assume that your faith would be tested? You see the argument that he's making. It's really interesting if you track along through 1 Peter and you look for that word or that idea of what is precious or what is valuable, it comes up multiple times. For example, you jump back down to later in chapter 1, verse 17, and if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. We read that a couple of uh, devos ago. Why do you conduct yourself in fear? 18 gives you the cause. Because you know that you were not ransomed with the futile ways inherited from your forefathers with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. So he he uses that idea of precious more than once and, or or honorable or or good. Like it's not always the same word, but that comes up. So that's, that's the first thing in verse seven that I think is really important to realize is that your tested genuine faith is the most precious thing that you have. Like in God's eyes, that's more precious than any material possession you own. Uh, In fact, it's the tested genuineness of your faith, the character of Christ in you, the life that Christ has worked in you is more valuable than your physical body because your physical body is going to burn too. (laughs) But the tested genuineness of your faith, like the pure gold, is going to stand and still be there at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And it's going to be to his praise and to his honor and his glory. So that's that's one takeaway there that I think is really, really a a nice nugget. Uh, You know, not like a nugget of gold, but like a nugget from the text. Uh, But then you come to verse 8. And uh, verse 8 kind of confounds me every time I read it. It convicts me and confounds me. Though, so 
just to notice what you to see if you can track the syntax of what's going on in these verses. The end of verse four, it's talking about you, the believer. And then there's like a clause describing you. You, who by God's power. Uh, it, the same thing is kind of happening the end of verse seven into verse eight. It ends the revelation of Jesus Christ, though you have not seen him. So it's picking up and talking about Jesus into verse eight. So though you have not seen him, Jesus, you love him. And we had an episode a few weeks ago with uh, a guest, Scott Annual, and we talked about the forming of affections and how you know God gave us his word. We don't have visual images. And I, I don't think this is in Peter's mind by way of intention at all, but it teaches what we've, we learned there, that you are actually commanded to have an affection, a love for God, and you never stimulate it visually because you don't see him. You've never seen him. Peter saw him. Peter saw Jesus. We don't need to see him to love him. And that kind of comes in in the next phrase. Though you do not now see him, because we will, he will be revealed. You don't see him now, but you believe in him. Where does the love of Christ come from? I put my faith in his word and my heart is changed to love him. It's, it's a trust and a belief. It's not a, look what I have. Here it is in my hands. It's not a, a big old lump of gold like, well, look how great this is. You believe in Jesus dying for you. And when you know that he's done that and you put your faith in him, your heart changes and you love him. And then here's the part, and that always convicts me. When you, when you read about loving God and ask yourself, do I really love God? And we always have conflicting desires, but that's always, always convicting to me to think about my love of the Lord. And it's tied to my faith in him. So if I don't love him, there's probably an issue of where I don't really trust him. But then the next phrase is the one that just confounds me. And you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible. Hmm. And you think about those descriptions we had of our inheritance earlier imperishable in verse four, undefiled, unfading, like these things will never happen. And then you have a, a, a very similar type of description, inexpressible joy. And, you know, think, just think about your life for a moment. Think about the spiritual activities that you participate in, reading your Bible, praying, going to church, like throughout the day, as you go through struggles and you turn to the Lord, are there moments of inexpressible joy? Because there should be. Like that, he's, he says, you don't see him. You don't need Jesus right there in front of you. You don't see him and you love him and you believe in him and you have inexpressible joy. Like you're so joyful, you don't even know how to contain it or express it to someone. And it's filled with the glory of God at the end of verse eight. And there's a reason why you have that, because you have obtained the salvation of your soul through your faith. Because you believe in him, you realize, I'm saved forever. And how do you express that in a, in a physical human way? So maybe the reason we don't have this inexpressible joy all of the time is maybe we, we forget 
how great our salvation is. Uh, our tested faith and sanctification is precious, and the outcome of our faith, the salvation of our souls, uh, it should produce an inexpressible joy. So those are, those are just two, I think, devotional ideas there from, from that passage. You could think about the testing of your faith and, you know, it, am I seeing this at work in my own life? Am I, do I think the testing of my faith is precious? You know, do, do I think that, you know, all the trials I go through are a good thing? Because God does. I think that's a good devotional thought, a way you could think that through. And I think you could think through verses 8 and 9 and ask yourself about your love and your joy and your faith uh, from your salvation. And you might even wonder, like, do I, do I have that? Uh, and, and if you really think through how sanctification works, when you don't have one, verse 8 and 9, like I don't have that joy and I don't have that inexpressible joy filled with glory. I don't have this love for God. I don't have the 8 and 9 experience. I don't like the word experience, but you know it serves, it serves us. Usually the reason you don't have eight and nine is because you also don't have verse seven. The love and the joy and the glory is a product of God testing you in sanctification. And it's actually not because your life is too hard. You have too many trials or you, you, know, you need a way out. You actually need to, uh, like Peter says here, the illustration of the gold, he actually says this later on in the epistle, you just need to sit in the fire. And as God refines you, the product of the refinement is the joy and the love and the faith. And um, I'm missing one. Maybe I'm not missing one. Uh, the love and the joy. Yeah. So I um, hope that's encouraging to you. And, uh, you know, a couple of great questions you could ask yourself if you're, if you're find yourself in this position, you know, what is God's will here? <laughs> and how, how is God facilitating his will right now? And, uh, maybe he's testing you to produce some love and some joy in your life. And so I hope that's an encouragement to you from first Peter. And, uh, we're thankful that you guys listen and we will see you next week. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Thinklings podcast. We would love to hear from you. If you have any feedback, suggestions, or potential topics that you'd like us to discuss, you can contact us through our email, thinklingspodcast at gmail.com. Remember, don't let this conversation end with this podcast. Read good books, talk about them with your friends, and always continue to cultivate your mind. See you next time on the Thinklings podcast.